If you'll take your Bible and turn to the book of Jeremiah in chapter number 36. Jeremiah 36. The message is for everyone because all of us sometimes do these things. But young, young people, uh, if you'll give me a, a good hearing tonight, a teenager's children, give me a good hearing. And um, just want to be help to everyone, but young people especially, if you'll, if you'll tune in, um, I think I can give you some scriptural stories tonight and principles of God's word that can really make your life rich. I'm not talking about wealth, although it will help with that. But it'll make you have a rich life, and uh, as it will for all of us. Uh, I'm in Jeremiah 36, and I'm in verse number 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against the nations, from the day that I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah, of course we're talking about Israel here, will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Do you understand? He's saying to them, this is what's coming, and I'm going to give you some advice so that I don't have to do what, I, what, what you're forcing me to do, the evil and your, wicked, your wickedness. And I want to forgive it. And I want to forgive your sin. Verse 4, then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah, and, and Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So it's, as we would see it, maybe as a scroll type thing, but it's called the roll of a book. So he's written what God told him. Verse 5, and Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth. So he told him what to say, what to write down. The words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that shall come out of their cities. It may be, it may be, they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. If you shoot over to verse number um, uh, 17, please, of the same chapter, verse 17. So Jeremiah 36, 17, and they asked Barak, saying, Tell us now, how dost thou write all these words at thy mouth? And Barak answered them, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, Speak, speaking of Jeremiah, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Barak, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where you be. And they went, uh, went into the king, into the court. But they laid up the roll in the chambers of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Judai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes 
which stood by the king. So Jeremiah has told this very exactly what to say, write it on the scroll, and take it to the king. Now the king is going to have it read. The Bible says, read in his ears of the king. Now the king sat in the wind, uh, verse 22, now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. So you got the picture? He's got a fire in front of him, a fireplace, if you will. And it came to pass that when Jehudah had read these of four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. You understand what just happened here? The word of the Lord was given to Jeremiah. The Jeremiah gave it. They wrote it down. They took it to the king. And they have read it to the king. And now the king has taken it. And he, this man had read it. And he cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth. In verse 23. Until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid. Nor rent their garments. Neither did the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Eliah and Jumari made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. But the king commanded uh, Jeremiel, the son of Hamalek, and Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shelmiah, and the son of Abdeel, to take Barak the scribe, and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. He goes on to make another scroll for them, same outcome. Understand something. God has written the word to them, and this is the arrogance, this is the pride, this is the attitude that they have taken in their hands, knowing full well that God is writing them a message to let them know of coming big trouble with God. And they literally take it and throw it in the fireplace and had no concern about it whatsoever. Boy, that's a bone-chilling event to me. To, to know that, that God gave this to the prophet Jeremiah. And then, and then now that you've basically taken it, you've thrown it in the fire, you cut, cut it up with your penknife and then you threw it in the fireplace as if it was nothing but trash. The word of the Lord. Can you imagine, I mean... That we have many of these Bibles, but I, I don't care which one. A Bible that is worn out, that, that is no longer of any use to you. Can you imagine cutting it up and throwing it in the fireplace? I just, it's, it's, it's unthinkable. It's, it's the Word of God. And so we see this absolute arrogancy of this king and just the total dismissal of who God is and the power of God so much so that he just throws God's word, God's warning in the trash. Of course, punishment is coming. I would tell you tonight, there's things in life that are obvious. And when God has sent the king a message, this, this is not some a, a foreign nation. This is the nation of Israel. This is God's chosen people that have done this. It's an amazing thing. I would tell you tonight that it's pretty obvious that that should not have been done. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's pretty obvious that this was absolutely an unbelievable thing, that this king of Israel would do such a thing. 
to the very word of God that was given to him. Jonah chapter 1. Book of Jonah chapter 1. If you'll turn there, please. Verse number 1 of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, directive, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come before me. Jonah 1.3, but Jonah... What do we have? We have a directive from God to this man. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. This is God speaking. Their wickedness has come before me. We see this, of course, with Sodom and Gomorrah, other places in the Bible. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. Of course, we know the Bible says here that God sent a great storm. We know that eventually Jonah was thrown in the water because he was so just absolutely unafraid of God, unafraid of the outcome, but said, I'm going the opposite direction. Now, we know that God didn't allow him to go to the opposite direction. He brought him back and provided free transportation for him in the belly of the whale and then spewed him out of, up on the water. Tonight, I see these two stories, and there's more stories in the Bible. But I see these two stories where God directly, directly gives a directive, a command. Go do this. Read this. I'm telling you a forthcoming uh, terrible tribulation, terrible um, God is going to wreak vengeance upon them for their sin. And he's warning them so that maybe, as we read in, in, in um, Jeremiah, that perhaps they would hear that. They would read it. The people would see what God is going to do. And they would turn from their wicked ways. We see this man, Jonah, same thing. God is sending him to a wicked nation, a, a city, a, the city of Nineveh. But Jonah is so against what God's will is and what God's way is for him to go to preach to those folks that he does exactly opposite of what God tells him. I think all of us would sit here today and we'd say, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, seriously, how could you be so arrogant, so proud, so dismissing of the power and might of an almighty God as, as a, a prophet, a man of God such as, as, as he was, Jonah, the king, knowing the heritage of his nation. We're going back to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and that was the whole heritage of their nation. And yet this absolute arrogant attitude of just, I'm going to do it my way, and I don't care what you say, God, I'm going, I'm going the opposite direction. There's things in life that we, we know, we look at other, other Bible characters, and we find illustrations that are not as grotesque as either of these two. But in some ways easily seen that it was a bad choice Jacob and Esau Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of red soup all of us know the story but it's just like Esau how could you be so ridiculous to give up the birthright of the firstborn of Israel I mean the heritage this this is the patriarchs of God Abraham Isaac and Jacob 
It should have been Esau. Of course, it was not. It was Jacob. Why? Because he lost his birthright. And so we see a ridiculous bad choice by this man Esau. We see Joseph's brothers as they, in envy and hatred, sell their brother into slavery, even plotted to kill him before he even got there. They saw him afar off, the Bible says, and plotted to kill him. They ended up selling him into slavery, their own brother, David and Bathsheba. You don't think they knew better than to do that to their brother? David and Bathsheba. David, Uriah the Hittite is one of your mighty men. He obviously lives next door to you or somewhere very close proximity. This is an amazing, amazing man in the military and one of David's mighty men listed in, in David's, the list of mighty men of David. You should be out to battle with him, but you didn't. You stayed home. And now Uriah, you've called for him. You've gone next door. You've looked upon his wife, and you've had her brought to you. And now she's expecting, and so you bring Uriah home. Ladies and gentlemen, David is a man after God's own heart. You don't think Nate, David knew better than what he did? Went against everything he knew that was right, and he, and he took his neighbor's wife. Do we understand that's just the, one of the basic Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not? What specifically in the Ten Commandments, one of the things is thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's wife. David knows these commandments inside out, backwards and forwards, yet he just charged forward as we see these others. Samson, after all the wrongs that he had done, he still comes to a woman by the name of Delilah. You see him arriving at the, in the different cities, and whenever you see him arrive, he always is, is looking for a woman. And so he finds Delilah. As you know the story, he had never cut his hair. He had a Nazarite vow and had not cut his hair. And over and over again, they tried to find out the source of his strength and the power that he got from the Lord God, and nobody could discover it. And so Delilah convinces him and tells him, uh, you know, how he gets his strength. And so she, she does the, she wraps him with the cords, and he rips them apart. And, of course, he, he didn't tell her the truth. And then the Philistines come in to try to kill him. Of course, he kills them. And so she comes to him again, and she's upset, and so he... Tells her another, well, use, use new cords and it'll work. So she does that, right? So now she's set him up twice. Twice the Philistines have come in to kill him. It's not real, real hard to figure out that she's likely going to do the same thing on the third time, right? I mean, I mean any, anybody can kind of figure that out that, you know, after two times, She's blatantly lied to you and, and tried to have you, have you killed. But here we now, now lie, and what does he do on the third time? Uh, she cries and weeps and moans. And so he tells her, well, I'll tell you what, if you cut my hair, then I'll lose my strength, which indeed he did. I mean, like she was not going to lie to him on the third time, right? And you think to yourself, Samson, I mean, how dumb can you be? How dumb possibly can you be? I mean, she just, I mean... Why would you tell her this after two times? I see in all of these stories the amazing things that people have done, knowing full well that God was not going to be pleased with it. 
One last story, King Saul. King Saul can, can no longer get through to God. He's been chasing David, and he's just a desperate man. So what did he do? King Saul, the first king of Israel, the people of God, the first anointed king of Israel, chosen by God to give to the nation of Israel. And what does he do in desperation? He goes to a witch. He goes to a witch to try to communicate with God and try to find out what God's plan. It's like, Saul, what are you doing going to a witch? He's trying to talk to Samuel through the witch, and indeed does. Understand, we see these stories in the Bible of just blatant, it's obvious. You can call the message tonight obvious. Do or don't do the obvious, folks. Young people, there's, there's going to be in life, there's going to be things that are going to come into your life. Do those things that are obviously right. People, young people, you're going to, young, young men, it's going to be snowing here, I, I fear, at some point in the winter in Iowa. And when you get up and go to school and you look out and you see that there's snow in the driveway, there's snow on the sidewalk. Somebody's going to have to shovel it. Is that fair? Somebody's going to have to move that snow. Boys, likely your father or your mother is going to tell you to shovel the snow. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. When you see the snow and you realize it has to be shoveled, shovel it. Just do the obvious. You go through the kitchen and you see that the trash can is over full. Empty it. Amen. Two words, empty. Shovel it, empty it. Why? Because it obviously needs to be done. Amen. It's an amazing thing that we... As people, we overlook the obvious things. Here we have great kings that understand who God is, and yet they, even knowing the power of an almighty God, they still stand literally in the face of God and do exactly what he tells them not to do or refuse to do what he tells them what to do. The obvious is something that God reveals to us as believers as young people in life, young people, if you will learn to do the obvious without being told, you will be the manager or the boss one day in your life. You won't be, you won't be working for people. People will be working for you. If you can do the obvious and not have to be told to do it, you will rise very rapidly. My father, when I got my first job, I was 15, and Mr. Bailey hired me to work at the gas station. That's back when we pumped gas for everybody, checked their oil, checked their tires, washed their windshields, and it was called, you know, it was called service. It was called a service station, right? And uh, I think I think there's a place for those today, Dave. 
I think I think I think that would be a good business to have a, a full service station where you pump the gas, you wash the window, check the tires. Man, I think you'd fill the place up. But understand, that I worked at the service station for Mr. Bailey. My father said to me, "Don't ever, don't ever stand around. If, if there's no 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 cars to, uh, to pump the gas, windshields, whatever, but don't ever stand around." Always be busy. If you can't find anything to do, go find a broom and just start sweeping something. But don't ever do nothing. The man's paying you a dollar and fifty cents an hour, and he's not paying you that to do nothing. He's paying you. Now I soon got a raise to two dollars, right? So that was a good day, making two bucks an hour at fifteen, high finance. And I found out that I was paying Social Security right then too. And I'm going to get a refund this month. Get, get my two bucks back. Young people, you see, you see things that you can be a help in your family. Don't always make mom and dad tell you. Because you know why? They don't really want to tell you that, you know, Johnny, go do this or go do that. or don't. They'd rather not. They'd rather you just did it. And they didn't have to tell you. Say, I'm just sick and tired of mom and dad telling me what to do. You can stop all that. Do what you know. Do what you know they want you to do. And you're free. It's going to be very rare that they probably will give you instruction when you're doing the things that you know need to be done that they, that they, they would call your responsibilities. But if you don't have to be told, that would be a wonderful thing for your mom and dad. And you would bring peace into your home by just doing what you know what to do. And boys... Let's just face it. You don't have to lift your hands because your mom's near you. But you hate it when your mom tells you what to do. You're a little bit better with it with dad, but you don't like your mom telling you what to do. Don't, don't, don't make her tell you what to do. Do what you know what to do. You know, once you're a teenage boy, it's just, I don't know, it's just a little like, oh, come on, mom. Take matters into your own hands. Do those things that you know that need to be done, that you, that you would be responsible for, and just take those things into your own hands. Christians, we have a lot of things that we know. And we know what God expects, and we know what God wants of us in so many areas of life. Yet it seems as if sometimes we have to get pushed back in a, a corner before we respond to those things. New Christians, praying and reading your Bible is difficult at first. It's a little difficult. Push yourself. Do what you know to do. Sometimes it's hard for new Christians uh, to come to church to the services, or old Christians for that matter, but be faithful to church anyway, knowing that's what God wants is for us to be faithful to church. Soul winning, bus calling, giving to the, the Lord's work, to tithing, all these things seem a little difficult at the beginning. You know those are things. You see others giving to the Lord, and you know what we're going to give to the Lord. It's for the Lord's work. It's for the ministry. But sometimes those things are a little difficult. But, you, but if you know what is right to do, just go ahead and do it. Let me tell you something about giving. It's a verse in the New Testament, and it says this. God loveth a cheerful giver. 
And we can look to the Old Testament. We can see the curses and all so on and so forth with, with giving and Malachi and so on. But I don't want to be that guy. I want to be, I want to be the cheerful giver. Why would, I, why, why, why would I be that guy that's like living in fear that God's going to curse me? And so, here you go. Oh, I don't, I don't, want, I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to just give it and give it cheerfully. I would certainly rather be somebody that God loved rather than somebody that God was going to chastise. That's a no-brainer to me. I want to do that which God loves. He loves, God says, God loveth the cheerful giver. Oh, man, I, that's, I, I, want, I want God to be noteworthy. Of God, see, and God loves it. Why? Because he doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to command you to do it. You give it willingly. We see in the Old Testament the willing offerings. And what do you find in the willing offerings? The willing offerings of the Old Testament, you find there was such an abundance. There was times they told them to stop giving. We have everything we need. Stop. Why? People had a willing heart for the Lord. When you read that, is that a great blessing? Well, Yeah. People knew that's what God wanted them to do, and so they just gave it willingly. So there's an amazing thing, a dynamic for all of us to not just do things out of, because, well, I guess because God told me, I got to do this, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, give, I'll give some money to the Lord. No, that's not the spirit of the Christian. The spirit of the Christian is a cheerful giver, and God loves a cheerful giver. I want to be in that category, not in the category of, is God going to chastise me if I don't give? Or what's God's going to, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in that cloud. I want to live in the cloud of cheerful and God loves. What a way to live, Christians. Bus calling is difficult. And then you fall in love with the kids. It gets easier. You see kids, children saved. It gets easier. Discipleship is inconvenient. New Christians, but it's worth it. Those who are, who are involved in giving it, teaching it, uh, it's worth it. We often want to take care of the things that we enjoy doing and sometimes seem to be the easier task in life. And we all often will leave the obvious things undone. It's kind of like this morning's message. We, look, we see it in the mirror. And then we quickly walk away from it, not doing those things that we know as believers that God would have us to do. Let's take care of the things that we know God wants. We all love promotion. Let's let the Lord promote us. Do the obvious in consideration of others. Do the obvious in consideration of others. Husbands, wives, if you know your wife does or doesn't like something specifically? Does she say she doesn't like something that you, you know that just kind of rubs her? If it's not a necessity of life, let it go. Big deal. If you know there's something your husband does like, I'm not talking about necessarily meals because we're pretty easy to please, but if, it, if there's something that maybe you know that this rubs your husband, now, why, why don't you just, why don't you just not do that? You know, just, you know, he doesn't like it. Just, yeah, but why don't you just make peace? You know, you know it's just, it's not, it's not really generally, it's not that big a deal. 
generally people get into deeper trouble over, you know, not putting the toothpaste away. You know, it's just, I heard uh, Gary Chapman speaking. He was talking about when he first got married. His wife never shut the cabinet doors, and she never shut any drawers. She always left everything open. And he was just the opposite. It drove him nuts. She, he's, he was telling the story, and it was just laughable because she opened the door, she never closed it. So you walk through and you smack the door. He said, man, she just never shut the doors on the cabinets or shut the, shut the drawers. He said, man, I was just, just, what's the deal? Just shut the drawer when you're done. And he said, it finally came to me. It's not that big a deal. I'll just shut the drawers and I'll shut the cabinets when I come through. Takes me a minute or two. Big deal. She doesn't shut them. It's nothing to get all wound up about. I'm just going to shut them. You know, it's better to shut the drawers or shut the cabinets and have a happy marriage. Amen? Sometimes we just, but it, what is it? Let's have consideration for one another in doing those things that we know is something that is important to them. Or maybe it's unimportant, something that you're doing that they would rather you didn't. You know something that shuts them down. Stop it. If your boss likes something a certain way, just do it the way he wants. Just do it the way he wants. You say, but Pastor, you don't understand. The way he wants it done is much more difficult than the, the, the way I do it. I, I know. I work for people all my life. And guess what? It's just the way it is sometimes. The bosses don't know how to do the detail work that, that you do when you do it every day. Sometimes you get a boss that's never done the job you're doing, and they're telling you how to do a job that they know nothing about. Do the very best you can to try to do it their way, as long as it doesn't take your life. <laughs> uh, you, get, you get where I'm going here. There's just Sometimes it's just little things, and it's things that are obvious. You know, something that we all struggle with. The Ten Commandments. They've been around a long time. Thou shalt have no other gods before but God Almighty. Take any idols you've got, get them out of your house. Get them out of your life. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't swear. Don't use his name in any kind of a vain way like that. Keep the Lord's day. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the day keep the Lord's day. Of course, the Old Testament calls to keep the Sabbath day holy. We don't have that day. We have the Lord's day. But let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You're here tonight as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's, let's do what God wants us to do in church attendance. Honor thy father and thy mother. Young people or, old, or older people, honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and I'll paraphrase it, or their stuff. These are things that God has given to us that we basically all know. They're obvious things. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him... It is sin.
Faithfulness, the most important thing for a new Christian or an old Christian is faithfulness. Is it a necessary step to serve the Lord? Yes, it is to be faithful. Take responsibilities and be faithful to them. Christians, let's do things God's way. Let's seek to do it his way and not our way. There's a famous song that Elvis Presley was known for, and it was called uh, something about he, I did it my way. I don't, you don't know the name of this. Is that the name of the song? Anyway, that's the words I can think of it. But I just that phrase, I did it my way. He died at age 42, life completely overtaken by drugs and alcohol. That was his way. That was the way he died. A man that grew up in church that knew what God's way was, but he did it his way. And he was dead at 42, perhaps one of the most famous men on the planet, perhaps. I don't know, but I'd say in USA, not too many people have not heard of Elvis Presley. He did it his way instead of God's way and will be eternally unrewarded if he's a Christian for having spent his life in the, his own way rather than following God's way. Let's do what we know God wants us to do that's obvious to us. We see a man like Jonah, and we say, Jonah, why in the world? We see this king as he slices up the word of God with a penknife. Actually, if you read the rest of the chapter, it was rewritten and given to him again. And I believe it had the same outcome. Let's do what we know is obvious. Young people, I would challenge you, if you will do those things that are obvious in your life, you will have great success in life. I don't care where you work. If you just do what you know is what they need you to do, and everybody doesn't have to run around always telling you to go do it again, you'll be the best employee they have. And you will set yourself up for success in life if we just do those things that we know to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious, precious word that gives us instructions for our life, for our future, for our eternity. And Father, may we not push those things aside. If we would see it as, as not anything close to what this man has done in cutting up the Bible, but Father, sometimes we just ignore those things that we know please you. And Father, I, I ask as a church, thank you for the generosity of the people and their giving. Thank you for the great offering for the missionaries and the willingness of faithfulness to church and responsibilities that are filled, people that decorated the building. Father, endless acts of service from people that love the Lord and have voluntarily given their time, energy, money, to be in their responsible positions every week. Thank you for them. And Father, for those that are growing up in church, I pray that they would see the faithfulness of Gospel Light Baptist Church members to the service, the faithfulness of giving to keep the ministry going strong, the faithfulness of supporting missionaries, the faithfulness, Father, of just keeping the buildings up. So many people and those that they clean and take care of the buildings 
Thank you for it. The beautiful facilities, Father, that you've given to us. May we care for them the best of our ability. Thank you for this collection of believers here tonight. Those that love the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for them. I pray that you bless their homes, their families. I pray that the children and young people, Father, would understand the, the importance of obedience and then a step more of doing what they know to do already and being that child that just desires to be a blessing in the home and to their parents. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us the example of sacrificing everything for the good of others so that we could have heaven as our home. We thank you for Sundays. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has died in our place. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd stand together, we'll have our invitation, the altar's open. I don't know if the Lord's done something in your heart and life tonight. Altar will be open.